Test one, two, three. Hey there, we'll welcome you back. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today, which is where we were last week as well. We're kind of working our way backwards through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But we're going to talk about prayer today, right? It's one of the things we talk about a lot, praying, right? Prayer. It's one of the things we maybe talk a lot about and don't do as much as we think we do. Is that fair? Um, we want to do it. We talk about doing it. Um, you know, how often have we said to somebody, I'm going to be praying for you? And do we follow through on that? You're saying, Pastor Brent, that's really getting... But it's true. So what I've learned, because a lot of times people come to me and they say, you know, will you pray for me about this? What I've learned is the best thing is I say, well, why don't we pray right now, right? That way I'm being honest to my word. Um, if we just use it as a phrase, the phrase that I'm praying for you, it's, it is, uh, doesn't mean anything. So a couple weeks ago at the beginning of the year, Pastor Andy talked about right priorities. He looked at the life of Jesus, those young years, and how he grew in the knowledge of God and in stature, right? So uh, he did a great job on that. And then we talked about small changes or habits that can lead to big results. To me, um, that is one worth going back and listening to if you did miss that one, um, just because I think it, it is one that has the potential to really change the direction of your life. All right? You know, small changes in the short term sometimes don't make all, that much difference. Okay? So if I'm shooting a rifle at a target, okay, and I, if I'm shooting at a target that's just right in front of me, adjusting the, you know, the adjustments on the scope aren't going to make much difference. Or if I just hold it a little bit to the right and high, I'll maybe shoot about one or two inches off the mark, the bullseye. But if I move that target out there 200 yards at that same degree, the bullet probably won't even hit on the target, right? It'll be way off. And so the further you get away, those small changes make a huge difference in the direction of our life. All right? So last week then we talked about the core, uh, Sermon on the Mount, core teachings of Jesus, and the fundamentals of the Christian faith. So we, we uh, entitled that Relax. And we talked about anxiety and worry. And so Jesus talks about that, the lilies of the field. God takes care of them. He's going to take care of us. And so we talked about how anxiety and worry reveal the false beliefs in our heart. Many times just um, we want to be people of faith, but that faith just isn't where it needs to be in our life. And then that is reflected in our emotions, such as anxiety and worry. Um, we talked about your valuable possession to God, that we need to trust Him. And when Jesus is the King of our heart, we can relax. So that pertains to right faith. Today I want to talk a little more about right prayers. I don't know, this right thing kind of has been, I think that's what I'm going to call the next few messages. It's going to have to do with right stuff, okay? So right faith, today right prayers. I've entitled the message, The Secret Place. Um, and so we're going to look, begin in uh, verse 5 of chapter 6. But before we do, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to worship together, to study your word together. We just pray that your spirit is here to just take your divine word and and make it come alive into our lives, Lord God. Uh, We don't want to leave the same way that we came, Lord. We want um, your word to flourish in our lives. 
and for us to grow and become more like you. And so, Lord God, we just pray that you would uh, just open our eyes to hear, our eyes to see, there we go, and our ears to hear. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. That would be a big miracle for your ears to see, <laughs> for your eyes to hear, right? All right. Amen. Let's read this together. Verse 5, and Jesus said, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. So the hypocrites, we use, you, if you hear that word, that's still used. It means you say one thing, but you actually act a different way, right? For they love standing in the synagogues, that was the Jewish place of worship, and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have already received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling. Anybody ever babble? Like the pagans. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need, even before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Or you can say, it is in this way that you should pray, okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So there's three thou petitions there, three thou petitions. So in most of our Bibles, it says that your name will be glorified, that your kingdom will come, and that your will will be done on earth. The three thou petitions. And then verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. So this is the three we petitions. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive us our, as we forgive our debtors, our sins is what we want to say there. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So the three we petitions that we ask of God. So as we look at this, I want us to kind of use the the Lord's Prayer is kind of the framework, and then we're going to come back and catch some of those other verses there as they apply to this. But the first thing that Jesus says is, Our Father who art in heaven, right? Our Father who art in heaven. And I think that's an important first line because it emphasizes who we are praying to, right? You know, sometimes people say, I'm going to pray or I'll keep you in my prayers. But are they just reciting things to the air or are they actually going before God in heaven, their Father? Are you following me? Because I know I've heard people say, I'm going to pray for you, and they have no relationship with God whatsoever. So who are they praying to? I don't know. But this specifically says, our Father in heaven. That word in there in the Greek is Abba. So that's, Paul also uses that Abba Father. It is a very intimate, personal relationship. So when you think of your Father in heaven, it is not just this being up in the heavens. He is to be your Father that you have fellowship and relationship with. Amen? So the essence of prayer is communion with God, our Father in heaven. So we had communion this morning. Why would we call it communion? We sometimes call it the Lord's Supper, but why do we call it communion? Because it is to be fellowship with Him, right? Communion with Him. So it is more than just a ritual that we partake of and say, oh, I'm good until the next month, right? Right? 
It is to symbolize that I'm actually sitting around the table with Jesus like he did with his disciples on the night he was betrayed, and we are having communion. We're having fellowship with him. You know, we have a table, but most, in most churches now, it's just to hold the bread and the juice. We're not pulling up a chair around it and having fellowship with God the Father. But I believe that's what's going to happen when we get to heaven. We're going to partake with him, but it's going to be around the table. And we're going to have fellowship with Him. We're going to talk with Him. And He is with us. Amen? In Jesus' day, people were missing the point, as I believe they probably do today. And He's really hard on the religious leaders because um, they would be asked to lead prayers in the synagogues. And so they would stand up front and they'd lead prayer. Okay, we do that here too, right? The thing was is that they, they think that what would happen is they'd actually time their movements so at these certain times of prayer throughout the day that they would specifically time it so that at the most public times of the day when there was the most people, that's when they would be there to recite and say their prayer. Why? So that they could be heard from God? No, so they could be seen by others. And so prayer was no longer communication with God. It was about me. And me being noticed. And I know none of us would ever do that. All right? But the religious leaders do, did. And so Jesus says, instead, go into the room of your house, close the door, reach out to your God that is unseen in that secret place, and God will reward you. God will hear your prayer. Now, in a Jewish home, Hebrew home, um, they often had a room that was kind of attached but it was out back. It was called the storeroom, all right? And so that's, the, that's what's used here is the storeroom. Go into the storeroom. Why? Because it was probably the only room in the house that actually had a door, okay? So a lot of their houses did not have doors. They were just open, all right? And you still see that in some cultures. And so Jesus saying is, go into the room that has a door, close the door, and meet with your Father in heaven. He is unseen, but He will see you And he'll hear your prayer and have fellowship with him. The idea is to go to a place where you can be alone with God. A place where you can have fellowship with him and connect with him. You following me? Those that uh, pray to be seen, they have the reward. But those who meet with God secretly will be rewarded by their Father in heaven. So your first principle here, if you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do, um, is our prayer should seek an audience with our Father in heaven. Our prayer should seek an audience with our Father in heaven. So for some, it was a way to be noticed. But Jesus is saying it should be a time that we have fellowship with him with our Father in heaven. Now, Jesus isn't forbidding public prayer or corporate prayer. What he is highlighting is the core purpose of prayer, which is to have fellowship with him. All right? And um, one person wrote, we should never, we should pray in secret before we ever pray in public. In other words, our public prayer should be an outflow of our private prayers. Amen? True prayer is not a technique. It's not a performance. 
but it's a relationship with our Father in heaven. And I'll, I'll touch upon this later, okay? But often people will say, and I hear this in small groups, I'll ask somebody to pray. People don't like to be in the small group that I'm in because I ask them to pray, right? And you all laugh because you've been in there, right? Um, but that's how we learn to pray, right? It's not a technique. It's not a performance. It's not like getting the right words, okay? So I'm going to talk more about that. It's about fellowship with God. Now, the only ever time we really worry about what we're going to say is sometimes when we're in public or we're out on our first date and we're just wondering what we're going to actually say, right? Right? Then we're thinking about our words. But when we're with our friends, when we're with our father, our mother, people we love, we talk, right? And we fellowship. We're not thinking so much about the words. We're having fellowship with the people that we love. All right. Second point, your kingdom come. So this is part of the vow petitions, and there's three of them um, that are mentioned there. And they are that His name be glorified, that God's kingdom would come to earth. In other words, that His peace, His compassion, His love, His healing, His deliverance, the things that we saw in the ministry of Jesus, the kingdom of God came to earth, all right? And that's what was so spectacular about it is that as Jesus went from community to community, great things happened. The kingdom of God was coming to earth. And that should be part of our prayers, that God's will be done and that God's kingdom would come to earth. You know, often we come to God and we have our own, our own agenda, don't we? Right? And I don't think that's necessarily wrong. But, and sometimes it's even self-interested heart. People get in that big jam, and all of a sudden, now they're going to cry out to God. They haven't talked to God in years. And all of a sudden, the wheels fall off the bus. And now they cry out to God. And God hears those prayers. But often we come to God with our own agenda and our self-interest. Instead of being sensitive to God's will and His advancement of the kingdom of God. And so secondly, our prayers should seek... God's will to be accomplished on earth. And I think the temptation is for us to rush into God's presence without even acknowledging Him, without worshiping Him, without sensing what is God wanting to do in this situation. And how am I impacting His will here on earth? You ever done that? I have. I even caught myself when we were praying before church this morning. To begin that time just with worship instead of just jumping in right to the request. Do we acknowledge Him and worship Him and then go into prayer? To put it in human terms, it'd be like you're going out to coffee with your best friend. What do you do? Do you jump right into, hey, I have a request from you? Usually you sit down, you talk, you acknowledge them, you give them a hug, you know, you shake their hand, right? Maybe you do a fist bump with COVID, right? Right? Um, but you sit down, you, you call each other by name, you sit down, you get caught up, right? Even if it's been a week or a month, you, you get caught up and you talk. Now, usually the most, if you have a question of them or a request of them, where does that come in the conversation? At the end. Usually at the end. And I think... Our conversation with God, our prayers with God should follow that same format that we model here on earth. 
we don't jump right in with that request right up front. We, we have fellowship with that person because we, we want to be in their presence. And so I believe that's what God wants of us as well, that we uh, model that, to approach God and acknowledge who He is and, and then to say, hey, God, what is your will in all this? What, what are you wanting to accomplish in my life today and in the world around me? How do you want me to live my life? How can I advance your kingdom today in my life? That's a dangerous prayer. God, how do you want to use me today? Advancing His will here on earth. That's part of the Lord's Prayer. See, I don't think it was a prayer to be recited. We recited. We we did it on Friday. Because I know that it's going to connect with people that... Uh, come maybe from a tradition that is recited often. It's a good way to connect with them. There's nothing wrong with reciting it. But Jesus is saying it is in this way that you should pray. In In other words, not to recite it, but I want you to catch the main aspects of how to pray. So one is to, hey, realize I'm inviting ushering in God's presence. I'm going to seek an audience with God the Father, and, and I want His will to be done here on earth. Amen? All right, what else? I need to get my iPad to turn on. Number three. Now we're going to go into the three we petitions. And he says, give us today our daily bread. So we partook of communion today. And that was really good bread. Thanks, Joe. It was was very good bread. Uh, It's from Panera. Um, And it's a very difficult phrase to actually interpret, folks, just in the Greek, because, because it was actually in Aramaic, and, and there really isn't words to interpret those words into, all right? Because it's just a weird phrase that they don't really know. But basically, the best way to say it is, give us today the bread that does not run out. Give us today the bread that does not run out. In other words, it really goes back to the wilderness, right? When they were in the wilderness for 40 years, and God provided bread from heaven, the manna, right? And They were to get enough for that day. The only day they could take two days' worth was on Friday because it had to hold over for Saturday. And it didn't rot that day. Other days it would rot. And, And they were dependent upon God to provide for their needs daily. Give us the bread today that does not run out. Um. They had to depend upon God and trust Him. They were in the desert, folks. And there was a million or two million. We don't really know. That's a lot of people to provide food for, isn't it? But God provided. The idea here is to cultivate an attitude of prayerful dependence in God. And, um, and I think we have to see this through the eyes of a relationship of our Father in heaven. So... Um, this applies to most people, but if you had a father, you know, if you were, when you were young or in your teenage years, you would go, hey, I need, you know, five bucks. Today it's like probably, what is it, Owen and Everett? Is it like 20 bucks now or is it 10 bucks? But 10 to 15 is going right. Okay, all right. <laughs> all right. And, you know, you go to them and your father and, and they, they provide. They, but the father knows that they need it, right? Um, you know, and our, our, our Father in Heaven knows that we need these things, right? And so we come before Him. We don't have to beg, right? But we come before Him and He knows our needs. The third principle is 
Our prayers should see God's provision for today. Now, verse 7 talks about that the Gentiles, they would babble, right? Can you all babble? Right? They would all babble and they had all these words. Why? Because in the Greco-Roman religions, they would... They thought that if they used all these words and all these things, that somehow they would get the attention of their gods. They were going to pester their gods enough that they would respond. Right? God says, you know what? You don't have to get my attention. I hear you. You're my, you're my children and I'm your father in heaven. And I, when, I, when I read this and was thinking about it, I was thinking about Elijah on Mount Carmel. And I think we kind of... And James kind of talks about that. Elijah prayed and, you know, the rain stopped and then it started. Um, but Elijah's on Mount Carmel. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel were uh, king and queen. And um, Elijah was coming against the prophets of Baal and Ashereth. And they meet on Mount Carmel. We're going to decide whose God is God. And so he gives them the first shot. And he says, you guys prepare the sacrifice and, and make the altar. And you call on your gods. And uh, we'll see which God answers by fire. And so they had the whole morning. They call out to God. They, they shout. They dance. They cut themselves. They did everything that they good, could do. They shouted. And no response. No response. They pestered their gods as much as they could. And no response. And then finally Elijah says, now it's my turn. He prays to God. The fire comes down, consumes both offerings, the water, everything. And his God answered. You know, Elijah even had a little bit of, he even joked with him and said, hey, maybe you need to cry out a little bit louder. Maybe your God is sleeping, right? You know, you know Elijah could be pretty intense, but he, he had a sense of humor too. Um, your God is not sleeping, folks. He hears you. He is your Father in heaven. He understands that we need bread for today. Sometimes it is literally bread, food for the table, Sometimes means money to pay the utility bills. It is clothes for our body. It is a roof over our head. It is transportation for our lives. The daily necessity. God knows you need those things. And you have an audience before Him. And when you come before Him, He knows your heart. And He knows your needs. And He will be faithful to provide. Amen? Now, I, I, you know, sometimes He even blesses us above and beyond. Okay? But I will, I believe His promise is to provide for your needs. And there is a difference between needs and wants, right? There's things that I need and there's things that I want. God definitely knows your needs. And I have found that He meets all my wants, all my needs, and a lot of times He meets my wants too as I put them before Him and seek His will. Um, Prayers. I was just looking in the book of Matthew. You know, there's some very short prayers that God answered. Four times people cried out to God and said, Lord, have mercy on me or have mercy on us. And God answered those prayers. That's a pretty basic prayer, right? Lord, have mercy on me. And God answered. So Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman came from the vicinity to him, crying out. So she is a Gentile. She's not a Jewish lady. She said, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. Man, 
So the disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. Man, you know, these disciples, they needed, they needed to be taught in how to usher and greet, I think, right? She keeps crying out to us, God. Send her away. Jesus answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. That didn't help anything out either. But the woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. And he replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She says, yes, but Lord, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall to, from the master's table. And Jesus said to her, woman, your faith, you have great faith. Your request is granted and your daughter is healed. There wasn't a lot of words there, folks. She said, Lord, have mercy. Lord, help me. Isn't that powerful? It's not always a lot of words. It's just crying out to God. In Matthew 20, in Matthew 20, um, 29 through 34, Jesus says, And Jesus and his disciples leaving Jericho, and a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and they heard that Jesus was going by. And they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped, called on them, and says, what do you want me to do? They said, Lord, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them. He touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight, and they followed him. You know, not a lot of words there. But as a parent, you know when your child, sometimes they come to you and they have all these requests, and it's kind of like, eh, you know, it's not serious, but then you know when they actually need something. You can see it in their, you can hear it in their voice. You can see it in them, and you know it's a real need. You know the difference. And I believe that God knows when we cry out to Him. He knows our needs. Amen. Number four, forgive us our debts. Um, this is just basically talking about our sin, saying, "God, forgive us of our sin." Our sin is a debt that we could not repay, right? So it's forgive us of our sins as you forgive us, forgive others that sin against us. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive them of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But as God has forgiven us, He expects us to forgive others that have sinned against us. That seems logical, doesn't it? How many of you have been hurt before by others? Yeah. It's not always easy, is it? And sometimes those are pretty deep wounds. One of the hardest things I've had to help people walk through is forgiving some of the deep wounds of the past. Sometimes the deepest wounds come from a father or mother, um, close friend. Those are sometimes the deepest wounds that are hard to forgive. But number four is our prayer should seek God's forgiveness so we can forgive others. And Jesus even says at the end of this passage that I read that if we don't forgive others, God can't forgive us. It's kind of like, God, why would God say that? You don't understand what that person did to me. There's no way I can forgive them. God says, if you don't forgive others, I can't forgive you. To put it in perspective, in Matthew 18, Jesus tells a parable. 
about a king, and he had a servant, and he had a huge debt, debt that was 20 years' wages. You do the math. 20 years' wages is what he owed the king. There's no way that he could pay off that debt. It was just a huge amount. To the audience was there, they're thinking, there's no way that he could ever pay this off. And so he's about ready to take the guy's wife, his children, his livestock, his home, and sell it all to get some of his debt back. And the man falls down and says, Lord, have mercy on me. And the king has mercy, has compassion. And he says, I forgive your debt. Woo! A load had been lifted, and the guy went away happy and free. But then all of a sudden he passed somebody he knew that owed him money. Now, this guy only owed him 100 days' wages, not 20 years' worth, just 100 days' wages, 100 silver coins. And he says, hey, you owe me money. The guy says, I can't. I'll get it to you, but I can't pay you right now, but I'll get it paid off to you. That's not good enough. I want my money now. And the guy says, I I don't have it now, but I'll get it to you. And so the guy took him to the authorities and had him arrested. But people who knew the king said, you know what just happened? That servant you forgave of that big debt, they just had somebody thrown in prison because they owed him a little bit of money. When the king found out about it, what did he do? He brought the man back and says, you know what? I forgave you all your debt. And yet you couldn't, in turn, forgive somebody else who forgave you a small amount, who owed you a small amount. You wicked servant. He took the man and threw him into prison until he could pay off his debts. You know, and it's, it's like us. God has forgiven us of all of our sins, a debt that we could never pay. That's the big amount. As People are going to sin against us. Sometimes even people in church, unfortunately, that's why Scripture, when it talks about loving people, if you look at the context in, in, the, in the New Testament, often it has to do with the body of Christ. Because if anything else, God wants unity amongst the brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have to forgive. If somebody has hurt you, we have to forgive and uh, wash it under the blood of Christ. Amen? And set ourselves free. Because unforgiveness is toxic, not to the person you haven't forgiven, but to you. It's going to harm you. And I don't know if I'm speaking specifically to someone today, but this is the hardest, one of the hardest truths that, um, in Scripture that usually people have to work through. Set yourself free. Get it off your chest. Sometimes you have to get a counselor. Sometimes you have to. It's a process. I get it but set yourself free. Amen? Amen. Number five, and lead us not into temptation. Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God understands that we are human and that temptation uh, to sin is real. Okay? Jesus himself was tempted three times. And so to be tempted doesn't mean you're sinning. All right? It just means that you are human right? When you're tempted. It just means you're human. And He knows what it's like to be tempted, and He is there to assist us even in our weakest moments of life. The last principle there is our prayer should seek God's deliverance from temptation. 
You know, I don't know if a day goes by that you're not going to be tempted. Wow, what if you began each day saying, God, give me the strength that I need to glorify you in my life and to, when temptation comes, that you give me the strength to stand up under it. Amen? Hebrews 2.18 says, because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those that are being tempted. He's able, he's there to help us. Hebrews 4.15-16 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, we quote that verse a lot, that verse 16, to approach God's throne of grace with confidence in our time of need. And often we use it for a lot of needs. But the context here, and that's not taking it totally out of context, but the context here is in times of temptation, right? He is there. Paul says, no temptation is overtaking you except what is common to man. But God, you don't understand that temptation. I'm the only one that deals with this one. No. No temptation is unique. We all face the same temptations. But you know what? This is the good part. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I always think of who? Joseph, right? Approached by Potiphar's wife. He runs for his life. He stood up. There's always a way out. I'm going to have the musicians come. You know, when Jesus said the Lord's Prayer for the first time, I don't think He was intending it to be recited and quoted. Rather, He was teaching us the way we should pray. And He covered the key aspects of what our prayer life should look like. It's a relationship, folks. It's not a pattern. It's not a a formula. But it does cover some of the key aspects of how we should pray and that to begin your prayer time with seeking that audience with your Father in heaven. I think it would really revolutionize your prayer life if you just said, God, I'm going to worship you. I'm coming into your presence, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Acknowledge who you're coming before. And then say, God, let your will be done. Let your kingdom be furthered here on earth. And God, what is? how should I pray about some of these things? What is your will in our world that is complex at times and chaotic at sometimes. God, how do you want me to pray? How do you want your kingdom to be furthered here on earth? And then to pray for God's provision. You know, God, we need money for the insurance this week or for the house payment or for the vacation we're planning for. You know, God cares about those things. He doesn't want you to worry about them. But say, God, hey, here's this need. And God, thank you for for your forgiveness and forgive me of what I did, the thing I said to that person this week or the thought that I had in my heart, my mind. Forgive me. Help me to forgive others, that person that offended me today and hurt me. And then God, 
keep my life pure and help me to walk in a way when temptation comes that you give me the strength that I need to stand up under it. Amen. I try to end our times just with a prayer of salvation and whether people are watching online or uh, here today. The prayer is nothing special, but I do believe it can begin a process of us walking with Him and making Him the Lord of our life. You can pray the prayer, but if you don't leave changed, it's probably not going to do anything. But if you mean it with your heart, I believe God hears it. And He'll help you on that path. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation. If you want to join me, I encourage you all to do it. Let me know if that's your first time. And then we're going to close with a song and just worship God here this morning. So let's pray together saying, Dear God, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Be my Lord and my Savior. And help me to walk with you each day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. It feels well with our message, doesn't it? You know, small, when we talk about small changes that make a huge difference, if you could find five or ten minutes to begin your day and incorporate these principles that we covered, that Jesus himself touched upon, without a shadow of a doubt, it's going to make a huge difference in your life. It's going to change how you begin your day and how you live your life. I'll guarantee it. It's God's word, so. (laughs) Small changes that make a big difference, folks. Father, this morning, you've called us into relationship with you. And we have a Father in heaven. And so, Lord God, help us to cultivate that time where we create a secret place close that door and we create an audience with you and have fellowship with you and we seek your will here on earth and bring up our daily needs the bread for today we seek deliverance from temptation and God your forgiveness and forgive others Lord Lord God, it it sets us free to be who you've called us to be. So Lord God, go with your people. We give you the thanks this day. We ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you today.